0: This device isn't a spaceship, it's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the carousel podcast. I'm Isaac Simpson. Today I have with me Alaric the Barbarian, the founder of the Dissonant Review, a big account, and somehow uh, somebody I'm just discovering, even though you seem like uh, probably more aligned with my kind of vibe than anybody i've seen so uh yeah welcome to the show
1: hey well thank you for having me on i'm uh glad to join you today
0: yeah so tell your story i mean how did you arrive here uh where have you been you said just about a year ago is when you started on this account and then how did dissident review come to be
1: yeah well just over a year ago i started on this account and i wanted to uh kind of take writing seriously and get stuff out there. So I started publishing essays, threads, and whatnot. And uh, I guess people like them. But um, the Dissident Review came from me seeing for years uh, on Twitter, a lot of guys on our side of things writing these practically research papers and threads and on Substack articles that were just excellent stuff. And there wasn't really anywhere to consolidate these things or to to publish them or anything with like real formality to it. You know, you get a lot of dispersed blogs and things like that, but I wanted to put together a uh, a sort of academia substitute for the guys that were producing research outside of, you know, left wing narratives and started that uh, last September, put out the first issue in uh, January. And then actually today I'm about to release volume three. So been doing that. And then recently uh, this past summer started doing uh, republications as well. So classic texts, I started with a collection of Richard Harding Davis journalism and fiction. And yeah. yeah. And then most recently, my confession by Samuel Chamberlain, which is the basis for blood Meridian.
0: Which I just ordered, uh, which I was very excited to, to see. Um, so if I'm understanding that correctly, uh, this was a book written by a actual, I guess you'd say cowboy or or whatever in what the, the late 1800s. Uh,
1: he wrote it in during the lead up to the civil war, but oh, it covers so his time. Yeah. It covers his time in the Mexican war in the 1840s.
0: Okay. So 1840s, he's in the Mexican war and he writes this thing called my confession, which I guess is like super, I, I, unfortunately the book has not arrived yet. So Uh, I can't comment on it because I haven't read it, but it's just very uh, barbaric. Like he's, you know, in Blood Meridian, the whole impetus is there $25 a Native American scalp, right? So is is that what's happening in my confession?
1: Yeah, it's actually the basis for the uh, Glanton gang from Blood Meridian. That's the historical source for like Judge Holden and Glanton and all these other guys. Um, He only links up with them at the end when he deserts the American military. But it starts off, he's uh, 16, 15, gets kicked out of his church and denounced as a devil for fighting uh, in defense of some woman that he was romancing, which turns out to be a very common theme, Uh, ends up out with his uncle in Illinois. And then as they did for the Mexican War, a general came by their town and asked for volunteers, got everybody drunk and all of the men signed up. And he ended up in Texas like a week later uh, fighting mexican guerrillas and it's just this incredible first person account of most of the mexican war from a guy who was on the front lines he was a dragoon and uh it just covers his entire time in that conflict he gets promoted and demoted over and over again for fighting drinking romancing all this crazy stuff it's very 19th century americana uh, and then eventually he ends up deserting to join the scalp hunting gang which is the central feature of blood meridian
0: yeah, right. Wow. And so what happened to this book? Why did it get so, you know, we're, we're starting to see this. It's funny, because of course, the left is saying ban books, ban books when really they mean like child chop your dick off porn. Uh, and but it, really what they're doing on our side is they are banning books. And slowly but surely, we're seeing these books that are basically banned that are kind of arising like Camp of the Saints, of course. And my confession that we were talking about a few others last night i don't know if you've heard of um, uh, background to betrayal
1: i've heard the title i'm not familiar with the whole contents of it
0: yeah so that's another one it's about like the communists in the communist cia in mm. uh vietnam there's also the high school race war book which i yeah. think y- you saw and then uh, which is about like a I, I would assume it's about like a black takeover of a school in Brooklyn, right? Of like a high school.
1: Yeah, I've read a yeah. bit of that one because uh, it's it's online in some PDF copies that are awful scans. But uh, yeah, it's, it's about desegregation in a high school and then all of the liberal rhetoric you see now being applied and like teachers are attacked. Kids are killing each other. There's rapes. It's, it's awful. And it's just basically the blueprint of American progressivism.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And then there's also another one called uh, The European Civil War by Ernst Nolte. Ever heard of that one?
1: I have heard of that one. I haven't had a chance to read it yet.
0: Anyway, I've just been collecting these, obviously, for because I am just interested. I'm fascinated by this. But uh, so, you know, my confession has basically become one of these books. that's impossible to find. And I think what happened with Camp of the Saints, and I don't know if this is true of my confession. I guess it couldn't be true of my confession because the copyright's got to be way run out on that. But uh, for Camp of the Saints, it's, you know, an activist organization bought the copyright and then they bury the copyright. So they, you know, they're they're basically they buy it to destroy it, which is you know technically illegal in Europe. You can't do that. The the original writer has like destruction rights, but they're doing it anyway. Um, yeah. So well, they've just yeah, done I
1: mean, it with uh with one American translation, and it's it's hard to get a rights to do another English translation from the French publisher. They don't want to work with anybody after the first time.
0: Hmm. Wait. So this is Camp of the Saints you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I uh, I know some people that tried to get translation rights and they were running into issues with the French original publisher to do a new translation. They might have made progress but because that was a couple months ago. But it's difficult. In America though, obviously the only English translation is being held hostage.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um so let's to return to my confession though. How did my confession become one of these like aff- you know effectively banned books?
1: Well my confession's an odd case because it was very obscure. Uh, it wasn't published until long after Chamberlain's death. I want to say in the, the 1930s or 40s and the the copy that's mostly around today before my release was uh, from 1958 And uh, it, it didn't get banned so much as it got forgotten. And then the only revival effort uh, because the Texas State Historical Association published the first one. And then there was a revival effort with this book called U.S. Dragoon a couple of years ago, and it just sanitized the entire thing. It heavily, heavily edited.
0: So it was so, like a rewrite. Was
1: yeah, like a basically. Rewrite? It took out a lot of the, um, took out all of the, let's say, ethnically charged language, um, took out a, a good bit of the gratuitous violence and... Uh, you know, descriptions, all of the very frank descriptions of the contemporary world that make this book so cool were just completely taken out for social justice reasons. Wow. Um, you know, I, I like he doesn't even, I think they removed the term guerrilla, uh, which is what he called the Mexican insurgents. It's just guerrilla spelled wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the only available quote unquote copy. Uh, unless you wanted to pay about a grand, and uh, you know, got a hold of the of the original, I got print copies to get the illustrations, and then I used an online copy for um to like scan and digitize the text and put out a new edition. It's uh, got all of Chamberlain's watercolors too, which was the part that I was really looking for.
0: And he made them himself.
1: Yeah, he did all of these watercolors. There's like hundreds of them. Uh, not all of them are preserved, but there were some preserved in the original My Confession print and then some other ones in this book called Chamberlain's Mexican War. And it's just like he was not a very um, he's not Da Vinci or anything, but he was a very, uh, let's say, like soulful artist. Like you can see a lot of you can see his personality come through in it. It, it. It's very interesting.
0: Wow. That's really cool, man. I can't wait till I get it. I can't wait till it arrives. How, how's salesman?
1: Uh very good. I think this is probably my best-selling book so far. Uh, I put it out, you know, as a ninety-nine cent ebook because it wouldn't let me make it free, and then as a you know paperback and a hardcover, pretty much as cheaply as I could. So uh, I'm not making a lot of money from it, but I'm glad to see that people are reading it. You know, it's glad to see this, or it's good to see this back in the canon.
0: Okay, so what's this other thing? This um. Who is Richard Harding Davis? I don't even know who that is. Oh,
1: So he was an American journalist right at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, So this is another one where all of his works were um, like all the copyrights expired. And he wrote on basically every major war that happened between the Spanish-American War and World War I. Um, This is the kind of guy, his honeymoon was the Boer War which he then was the only person to see from both sides. Like he reported on the English side and then said, ah, you know what? I'm supposed to go home. Let's go report on the Boers," And uh, just a a really crazy kind of all American guy uh, that very late 19th century, like industrial mercenary, you know, loud in your face, American ethos. And uh, he's a great writer did, um, you know, a ton of journalism and then wrote a ton of best-selling fiction, like literal chart topping books, namely this book soldiers of fortune. And um, yeah, I don't know why that's not a more famous novel because it was the best selling book in America for a time. Uh, It was about Americans or this, yeah, this American guy, uh, Clay who's like a literal cowboy. He's a civil engineer and a cowboy. And he goes down to South America to open up this mine for uh, a rich guy in New York because he wants to, marry the guy's daughter that he's only ever known from afar and it's it's basically the great gatsby from there but with uh, a lot more action wait but I, this I think is it's a, a but this is yeah. a
0: fiction book
1: yeah this one's fiction he was also famous as a, a fiction writer and a playwright
0: oh okay yeah i'm just trying to like wrap my head around this so i should buy this obviously i should buy this celebrated or collected writings of richard harding davis
1: Hey, if you like classical, you know, all American literature, it's it's but, great. But is it
0: all fiction or is it I'm really more of a nonfiction guy.
1: So like, oh, so uh, the first half of the book is all of his journalistic writing, or at ah, least the okay. best of it. And then the second half is Soldiers of Fortune.
0: Yeah. So just so you know, I mean, not to make this about me, but I. I. Uh... You know, I was a vice writer. I was I'm a gonzo like guy. You know, that's my thing. I'm a big Bukowski fan. I actually don't even like Hunter S. Thompson because he was a bitch. But, uh, (laughs) you know, like I this is my shit. I'm completely obsessed. This is like where I sit in this thing is like magazine writing, basically. Right. So it's amazing to discover this because the the other guy, people in the space, they do a lot of, you know, eps, articles about Heidegger and shit like that that I just could not give a shit about. Whereas like what you're doing is so cool. Like these actual gonzo, real nonfiction writings. This is like exactly what I've been looking for.
1: Yeah, Davis is a crazy guy. You'll definitely like him. Um, yeah, I just, he's ordered, a...
0: just ordered it.
1: Awesome. <laughs> he's a oh. I see him as like a purveyor of vitality. He's very very focused on everybody being, you know, on both sides of a conflict. He just loves the the action.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever read? uh, I was actually thinking of recommending to you Rizard Kapuscinski.
1: I have not heard that name before now.
0: Check out um, best book about Africa I've ever read or that probably exists. Is this Polish journalist who spent like 50 years there just watching war after war after war. Uh, and his name's Kapushinsky, and I think it's Shadow of the Sun, and it's fucking great on-the-ground journalism about Africa, and it's like he's not even—he doesn't know he's based because he's like pre-based, like he's probably a liberal in his own time, right? But uh, he's like not afraid to actually describe what <laughs> what he's seeing, you know, like without cleaning it up at all. Um, it's great. Yeah, I think it's—I think great I've seen excerpts journalism.
1: from that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. Really good.
0: Yeah. He, he has some like just descriptions of Africans that are just like so dead on (laughs) that you could never say today, even though they're not like, you know, he's, he's literally like doing it from a place of love, actually. Like he's not, he's not like a racist, but he's just, uh, describing them accurately. And it's, it's, uh, it's really good. Um, so, okay. So what, what are these, uh, the, the actual dissident reviews themselves? Are these, who are these writers? I mean, it's. Yeah, like who are these guys that you're finding? What are the stuff that they're writing for you? Um, do you do a lot of editorial? Do, do you take submissions? You know, how, how yeah. is that side of it going?
1: So it's, it's open submissions on the website. So every time there's a, a deadline, I have a million emails to sort through and read. But um, each one's been around 10 to 12 uh, essays or papers. And some of the guys writing are... History PhDs, I think we published like two two or three like legitimate professors at this point, um, either under a pseudonym or under their actual name. And then the rest are either amateur historians, uh, guys that are in other fields, things like that. Uh, most people write under a pseudonym, but some of the research is just actually all of the research that I published is absolutely excellent. Even the stuff I've had to turn away is really good um it just the the level of quality that's coming from people that are at least feel exiled from the academic world is absolutely incredible uh so i've done you know two volumes out third one just about to come out uh started theming them the last one was frontiers so we had essays on explorers frontiersmen frontier wars uh one on africa by this uh polish mercenary Rafal ganganowicz that was a um oh, cool. translation so right, that sounds awesome yeah, it's uh, crazy. He's talking about like cannibalism in the Congo and things like that. Uh, he was fighting against the uh, communists there, so it's it's just been a crazy. I, I've seen it described on Amazon reviews as a grab bag of historical topics, and it, it definitely is. But it's all very interesting stuff. I've been incredibly pleased with the level of quality that's come through, and uh, so the writers the, that work on it. Are great.
0: Where do you sit in with regard to like passage?
1: With passage, I know them. I haven't worked with them yet. Interesting. So I I'd like to, but I uh you know, I know they're like printing things themselves now, which is uh a step up. That's that's really important for guys on our side.
0: It's just amazing to me that the dots have not been connected there yet. It's like I, I don't you've like somehow just existed in this carve out of of twitter that has somehow just like gone totally under the radar for me so yeah what how did you get so big on twitter i mean you have a huge following and you've only been around for a year so how did you get like eighty thousand followers or whatever you got
1: uh well i'm not quite at 80 i'm at i think just under 60 right now but oh, just it's just, uh yeah it's it's crazy i really don't know i've done a lot of uh threads i kind of got I mean, I've I've done some work in social media marketing. I got the the algorithm and whatnot down, but then I just slammed out writing. And I had a bunch of stuff saved up. So I've been able to go at a very uh like fast pace to an extent.
0: So what's your um, beat? I mean, what do you write threads about?
1: Initially it was a lot on uh just general history, like dissident history from you know, heterodox views and whatnot, uh, based stuff, and then also martial arts. So it oh, talks okay. a lot about historical, like combat tactics, training, things like that. Um, I think I really, really blew up because I wrote this uh, piece for the Dissident Review Volume 2 on the Age of Exploration. And I did threads on that that all got big. And then Elon Musk liked one of them and followed oh, me. So nice. <laughs> he's uh, that was a big boost. I think I was at 30,000 before that. So,
0: So what did you say about the Age of Exploration?
1: Uh, basically, I-, I went from Columbus on and just said that you know everything we're taught about this is pure propaganda about Columbus, the evil slaver and murderer and rapist that shows up to the New World by accident and then just demolishes everything, and then the uh, the Spaniards that went to Mexico and Peru and Honduras and whatnot, and these guys were all evil, bumbling idiots that just managed to somehow topple empires i i see these guys uh the conquistadors as very sympathetic figures and sort of this ancient kind of story that happened to happen you know a couple centuries too late uh really like hernan cortez reads like something out of the iliad or something like that
0: wait what do you um, mean a couple centuries too late
1: like we we impose this moral system on them that we don't impose on alexander the great when in reality, these guys were very similar figures to got like it. ancient conqueror kings.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I read your piece in Man's World about um about this. I you know about the the conquistadors. There's some great you know uh, my favorite part of your piece, which is on page three hundred and eighty in the most recent <laughs> Man's End. World. Raw egg. Can we please make it easier to read these fucking pieces <laughs> without having to scroll three hundred pages? Yeah. Uh but uh yeah um you have some great like source material stuff. I mean you have there there's a, a little soundbite in there uh from of Cortez addressing his men or is it Pizarro addressing his men? What uh, the
1: uh here lies Peru and its riches there is uh, Spain and its poverty or Cuba and its poverty, you know, stay with me or go. Panama. Literally drew a line Panama. in the sand. Yeah, Panama and its poverty, because yeah. he was uh, going from there rather than Cuba. But yeah, it's um, literal line in the sand moment. Yeah, like, that sounds fake almost. That's too movie like.
0: Well, where did you even get that from? Like, wh- where is where is that from? That quote,
1: well, uh, that one in particular, is referenced in all the famous secondary yeah. accounts, and I believe in the um, the the firsthand one by what's his name, uh, De Soto.
0: Ah, uh, very cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great to somebody's doing like exploring those source materials. I'd, I'd never heard any of that stuff before. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious about these explorers. As I was telling you, I'm kind of more into the uh, like the African explorers and like the Teddy Roosevelt stuff. That's what I've looked into. But um, uh, also, of course, I'm a massive um, Heart of Darkness fan, as I'm sure you are.
1: Yeah, the uh the Anglo exploration spirit into the Congo and whatnot is unmatched. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> it's great. Like, uh, have you read uh, Heart of Darkness anytime recently?
1: Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, I reread it.
0: There's that scene. Like, I just reread it again, and it, there's this scene in it where they're going up from like you know checkpoint Belgian checkpoint one to check checkpoint four or whatever, and they're going up the Cong- Congo River. And it's, like, he's shifting back and forth. Like, every time they turn a corner, he sees a Belgian, like, checkpoint thing that has basically, like, a bunch of drunk soldiers, like, stumbling around. And then it'll, like, the scene will change and he'll peek into, like, a clearing and he'll see Africans, like, dancing around a fire and he's like, these Africans have never been, they're completely wild. Like they have never been contacted before. And it's like crazy to see, like it's like this revolving door of like civilization and then wildness, civilization and then wildness. And they're like coming together. And he's got this whole like monologue that lasts several pages about this. And it is just like the best piece of nonfiction writing maybe I've ever read because it's like just the perfect adventure. I guess. Oh, know. yeah,
1: absolutely. It's that. Yeah, This like total wonder and terror at uh. Yeah. what yeah. the edge of civilization looks like,
0: right? The true edge of civilization. And that's what your writings were about in man's world is, is the frontier and the loss of the frontier. And, you know, needing to find a frontier. So where is the frontier? I mean, obviously, it's the digital world, right? But everybody hates saying that. So where, yeah. where, where, where do we go?
1: Yeah, I mean, on a, like a business level where a lot of these guys, you know, pursued meritocratic, crazy, you know, risks. Uh, that, that's obviously digital right now. That's like cryptocurrency where nothing's really regulated right. And there's no rules. Um, physically though, that's, that's the question. I, I've had a lot of people make the argument that it's a, a reconquista of like urban decay.
0: Mm. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause that's, that is pretty lawless at times, you know, if you want to go uh, open up a hipster bar in Kensington, Philadelphia or something. Well, um, right.
0: But I mean, the hipsters already did that, basically. I mean, isn't that that's kind of what already happened? Like, the yeah, well, it's already, that that already it's happened.
1: that like cycle of, you know, yeah. you gentrify one area and then all of the, you know, fentanyl moves next door. And uh, I, I don't know. That's just one argument I've heard. I think international um, investment and in, like, Property, you know, things like that is going to become something soon for Americans, uh, where a lot of people are going to want to leave the country. That might be an element. Uh, we're also looking at like World War Three, so that might be something. Um, it, it's difficult to say. That's my point with the piece is less that I know where a frontier is because I don't, but more that uh, you shouldn't give up hope because the right in 1492 when the Spaniards thought basically okay it's over if you you know wanted to go be a frontiersman that opportunity is now closed same year they discovered the new world
0: yeah which is the, you you write that in your piece which is great it's like i I never thought about that before it was the end of so reconquista just so everybody knows who's listening to this is basically the 700 year period in which the Spanish were fighting the Muslims in Spain, right?
1: Yeah. It's a and brutal war. And ended
0: with them retaking, it must have been, what's that city down there? Uh, last
1: last one was Granada.
0: Granada, yeah. So, the, you know, that's like the furthest, furthest south city in Spain. And they <coughs> retook Granada, which was like the end of the Reconquista. And it was like, all right, this is now a Spanish thing you know muslims go to africa you're not in europe anymore and also that was when they kicked out the jews right
1: yeah actually it was the same day as christopher columbus left
0: wow amazing amazing which is so, weird yeah. but <laughs> yeah it's, it's, i know it's just so crazy it's like that inflection point and then your your really cool and insightful point is that uh in a way the closing of the frontier of the fight against the muslims when that was no longer happening these young men really had no frontier to go fight on they had no way to like go make a name for themselves so they had nowhere else to go besides cross the ocean that you know nobody knew really what was over there yeah
1: and they they certainly made a name for themselves i mean uh that was the promise of the reconquista was you could get a you know a hacienda with uh some labor included and whatnot in lands that you conquered. If you were like a Hidalgo, uh, there, there was sort of a patronage system if you helped to conquer. And then that extended to the new world, except with way more territory, way more money. Uh, it was just the same thing on steroids, but also in a far more hostile environment. So it just got, uh, it, it intensified the, this new frontier it was far more intense than the last one.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, very cool. So uh, what about space, though? You don't think space is you're not into space.
1: I like space as a frontier. I think we'll get there, but I, I think it's too ago. slow moving and it's too few people involved. You know, you can't uh, you can't go to Mars and establish a, a mine right now for money, you know, gold, God glory. Like you can't do that yet. So in the meantime, we've got to find something else.
0: Yeah man we really got screwed man our you know our generation the the explorer types like really got screwed you know in in our yeah. world because there's just you know like the, the the true answer is that the you know the explorers of our time the great men of our time are unfortunately for us the ones building the digital world and it's undeniable i mean it's it's jobs it's musk these are the guys that are, you know, the the heroes of our age, but it, that's fucking lame. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just like a lame, like it's just lame. Like people who make the stupid SaaS programs, it's just like, you know, that's just not really very cool. Whereas like other eras have way cooler people in them than we do. You know, I mean, it's like the founding fathers era, right? Those guys weren't super cool uh, until the revolution. They were nerds. I mean, they were spoke seven languages. They had read every single book. So if you were in the Enlightenment, that was also kind of a time like now where it was very it wasn't like adventurers were selected for in any kind of way. Uh, But yeah,
1: you could you could still do some mercenary stuff. And granted, you can do that today. But uh, it was smaller than in other times.
0: Yeah, so what do you think of that? What do you think of like the young kids who go join Wagner and stuff? Have you ever thought about doing anything like that?
1: Well, the uh the mercenary warfare rise and whenever I say this, people say, "Oh, well, we've been in this since the the 70s." Like, no, it's starting again. We're we're going to be rapidly increasing. People that I know in that world, uh, a lot of them are getting calls as of the past couple of weeks. Uh yeah. not not the how you doing kind, like the yeah. <laughs> uh, the real kind. Um And as that progresses, I mean, everything's privatizing, security's privatizing, everything's getting more dispersed, private, uh, you know, mercenary, in a sense, uh, even outside of the the use of force world. If you look at South Africa, that's just a perfect example of what decline looks like. It looks like everybody has a mercenary company protecting their every move Uh, and they're fighting against like real threats. Like there are people raiding their equivalent of like Amazon trucks and power substations and things like that. Um, that That's what real decline looks like. And that's what we may be heading for. Um, so I, I could see mercenary warfare becoming a, a bigger deal in the near future. Um, I, I don't know how that'll factor into young men without military experience. If it'll be a uh, show up and get trained kind of deal, I think it would have to get pretty severe for that. But uh, who knows? You know, that that's definitely a frontier is fighting for, you know, gold, so to speak.
0: Yeah, right. Being a mercenary. There's a cool podcast called Pig Iron uh, that it sounds very annoying when you start listening to it because it's like a, a woman with like a cute English accent in a podcast. But it's all about a kid uh, like, a, you know, kind of like a guy. I mean, he. I think he comes from a very liberal family, writ, like well-to-do Massachusetts family. But he becomes a journalist and he, you know, has a craving to be a war journalist. And he basically joins Wagner and he like kills people or you know, like he he crosses the line basically, and uh he gets killed. He gets killed in this is real. He gets killed in uh like the uprising in Darfur or something, or it's no South Sudan. He gets killed in South Sudan and his body is found like like uh like embarrassed, you know, or whatever you call it. That's like, crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's I was surprised more people in our space don't talk about this because. You know, our guys are always, you know, pirate, BAP, lifestyle. And this is a kid who did it. But for some reason, we don't talk about this guy. Uh, Yeah,
1: I I haven't even heard of him.
0: Yeah, uh, let me find his name. I think it was maybe because the guy like started as a libtard. And so we just, of course, don't like him. Christopher Allen was this kid's name.
1: Oh, so this isn't like a Russian guy. This is a
0: No, it's he's an American, like I I am imagine he's like a half Jewish kid from from <laughs> uh from Massachusetts.
1: I thought you just meant he grew up there. I I didn't know that they took non-Russians.
0: Yeah, no, he no no. There's like a bunch of English and Americans and stuff that are in them. I, I don't know I it's yeah, I think it's Wagner and there's another one called um I can't remember. They they all have these like names. Uh these these like groups have all these names that i can't remember and they're all kind of like vaguely nazi <laughs> um yeah so it's weird you know it's it, it, this is like the the thing that so many of us want to do and that, that is so missing i mean vice is missing right so like uh did you like vice i mean were you interested in that
1: yeah i liked vice for a, a long time they were the, some of the only people doing crazy stuff and then um it seems like they've kind of declined. Didn't they just file for bankruptcy?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they're owned by George Soros now. It's the perfect ah. you know, the perfect the perfect story. Um, you know they went full completely full circle. But to me, there's just a giant, you know, like the writing that I've done has been so successful in as very little of it as I do because there's just nobody filling the mail magazine journalism hole that exists in society. Bourdain, dead, killed by Weinstein. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Vice gone. And so there's just this giant hole, like in the middle of of culture, and we're just waiting for somebody to, to fill it.
1: Yeah, Rolling Stone just complains about us on Twitter now. So... <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. Rolling Stone. I mean, roll, Forget it. Rolling Stone. It's all those newspapers or, or magazines are zombies, and by zombies, I mean they're propped up, but they don't make money. They're they're propped up by private money in order to control their narratives.
1: Yeah, it seems like some people are kind of doing a base level, like individual revival of this sort of thing. You know, we had uh like. There's Lord Miles, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: getting captured for eight months by the Taliban and watching a Barbie movie with them. That's that's Anglo adventurism right there. Um, and then you have like uh, Asylum magazine, the, the editor yeah. of that recently did that cartel piece where he was just meeting with cartels, which is that reminded me of old vice.
0: Wait, you mean uh, Giles?
1: Uh yes yeah,
0: yeah yeah he don't he goes by Giles so don't worry it's okay like, I'm not doxing him. no I I wasn't sure
1: uh <laughs> I've I just haven't heard it before I just know him as the asylum guy
0: yeah no he his writing name is Giles Hoffman yeah me and him are in close contact I love I love Giles I love his work and I love what he's doing and yeah that piece of him going to Mexico was fantastic he actually called me from from um uh wow, nice. I don't think he actually met with the cartel, though, unfortunately, but he he tried. He tried to get in there and see what was going on.
1: Yeah, well, that kind of thing, there's clearly a, a hunger for it. I mean, I would I would gladly be doing that uh, if that was a, a widespread option right now. But, you know, I do enjoy the uh, the historical stuff because it it sort of cuts on the edge of. Um, like it, it pisses off the right people. Like no normal person reads an article about some kind of historical event and, um, you know, immediately is like inflamed to extreme rage, except uh, severe left wing ideologues. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they basically say you're you're Hitler if you like Christopher Columbus or something like that, or if you uh, like the founding fathers, they just freak out about it. And then meanwhile, people on our side are just like, oh, that's cool. You know, even average people just uh, find interest in it. And I think it's it's good to provide
0: that. Totally. With, and so, but this is where where I think we're kind of headed is, you know, I just did, I've done, I just got sent to Texas to do some gonzo writing about helium. Mm. <laughs> and the United States is about to sell the largest helium deposit in the world. And nobody knows who's going to buy it. Nobody knows anything about it. And I went out there and I kind of, uh, I drove around a Maserati and I kind of like pretended, not pretended, but I mean, I actually, in a in a real sense, uh, was basically doing corporate research for an organization that wants to buy helium uh, for blimps. You know, this is like this whole blimp thing. I don't know if you've seen this. Sergey Brand is like investing all his money in bringing blimps back. I mean, so I'm I went it. down. <laughs> what? Wait, wait. So anyway, I just went down there and I had this totally random. Uh, topic, right? In the world of oil and gas, this is Midlands, this is Amarillo, Texas. And, you know, this is important. Like the United States is about to sell helium. You know, every MRI machine in the world relies on helium. And now the government is about to sell all the helium, you know, like in the world, you would think (laughs) there would be some coverage of this, you know, like someone would want to write about this. I was going around poking around on this. No one wanted to talk about it. No one. It was like totally vague, you know? And I think the reason for that is because the internet has torn people off of the real world, right? I mean, like people just aren't living in the world anymore. So to me, the frontier is these spaces that are existing, like in the world, because now People don't live there anymore, you know. Like it used to, would have it been that people would have known in this area that this thing was happening, and some journalists, it would have been their job to cover it. Whereas now, the people whose job that is sit at their desk all day and read memes and report on the digital world. They don't report on the real world.
1: Yeah, it's definitely uh, you know the digital is the real now, which is for better or for worse. It just is you know, nobody's offline, you know, there, there's nobody that's not wrapped up into this kind of thing um, to some degree or another, even like old people, you talk to somebody who's like 70 and they're still getting all of their info from Facebook memes. <laughs> like uh, it's, it's just a, it does open up opportunities for people that still want to do things in the real world though, which is definitely yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Um, right right so uh you also have some stuff about this show um about the conquistadors
1: oh yeah or not I uh I just watched that I liked it a lot it's probably the only film production of it that's actually done any Justice
0: so are you a a TV I like do you watch a lot of uh movies and stuff or are you like a culture person
1: I mean I I watch a good few movies but I'm not Whenever I think I'm like a culture person and I'm, you know, updated, I, I realize that I'm not. Um, I just spend a lot of time in books, so um, it, it's it's definitely odd. Why do you ask? I
0: don't know. I'm just trying to no, you know, like get a sense of like if you're like you know if you're like a movie guy or if you just liked this because it was about the conquistadors.
1: Well, I had so many people recommending it to me. I had to watch it. I haven't watched, I don't think, a TV show in a in a long time. And I actually sat down and watched this. Yeah, because um, yeah, usually I'm a movie guy. I, I would like to see an American movie about the conquistadors. I think that would be a yeah. like a layup hit yeah. just for an action movie, but politically very hard to do.
0: Good luck, bro. Not going to happen. <laughs> Not going to happen. Definitely. uh yeah, Definitely I mean there's
1: there's so many of these stories that are perfect movies. Um one of the I mentioned that guy in Africa, the Polish mercenary. Uh his memoirs are basically like a like they would make a perfect um not Apocalypse Now or Platoon, but just something like a like a gritty war movie. It would make a perfect gritty war movie. This is this Polish mercenary whose family were killed by first is I think his father was killed by the communists and then his mother was killed by the Nazis. Uh, and he just went on this crusade against communism for the rest of his life. And he ended up in the Congo fighting communist Congolese mercenaries as wow. like a commander, just absolutely insane story. And nobody knows who he is. Uh, he's only famous for one quote. It's cause it's like in a meme and it's a, uh, You know, some reporter asked him what it felt like to take human life. And he said, I wouldn't know. I've only ever killed communists.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right, right, right. I think I have heard that. I've heard that. Yeah.
1: Like, that's a movie line. That is something Arnold would say (laughs) in like an 80s movie. And nobody knows who the guy is. So it it is frustrating to see how. uh, How often certain like great stories are just totally disregarded for political reasons.
0: Yeah, well, I mean. God, you really do come across these stories all the time. And you're just like, man, how has a movie not been made out of this? And, you know, it's just so because they can't, you know, they just can't. You know, they can't make Blood Meridian for for reasons, you know, which they obviously should.
1: Even uh, like my confession is it's got some segments in it that are that make people even on our side like uh, squirm because it's just very frank dealing with like how. How a frontier war in the middle of nowhere actually plays out, and it's it's like a lot what? of rape, like a lot of rape, a lot of torture, a lot of murder. Oh, wow. Um, he talks about, I mean, he's Chamberlain's in the the Second Dragoons, I believe, and he talks about the Texas Rangers basically being these um the equivalent of like where we'd send special forces guys today, uh, where they really don't have much supervision, and they don't, they kind of do their own thing, and uh, they just brutalized people. And he talks about the Texas Rangers and, you know, them going into a house, raping all the women, killing all the men and hanging them by their toes. And it's like, okay, you know, this is just a casual element of the war. This is what happens. He gives it the same attention as what he has for dinner. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, that and the relationships with the the local women, the local women very much favored the Americans because they were less uh, nasty toward them because they had more of an organized force. Uh, so stuff like that, where it's like, you know, oh, they did they, they saw the white men leaving and the brown women clung to our ankles, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? And it's like, all right, yeah.
1: you know, you, you probably can't
0: say that now, but well, oh, because we can't show, yeah, right. It's like, uh, do you remember there was that horrible uh war movie that had Brad Pitt in it called Fury? <laughs> did you yeah. ever see that?
1: Yeah, with the tanks.
0: So, there's that scene in that movie where uh, like the German women. Uh, like, like they find some German women alone in a apartment building. And like, obviously he's trying to make a rape scene. Right. But the way that he, cause he wants to tell the truth about it. Right. Which is I'm of course that was happening. Right. I mean, that's like, this is war. This is what happens in war. So, uh, but he tries to make it so that like the German women like are, like flirting like Like they want to do it you know like like he's trying to make it like they they like want it and it's such a weird scene because it's obviously such bullshit propaganda right it's like it's bullshit because it's like you would never see that reversed you know what i'm saying like you would never see it that if the nazis took over a town the the women wanted to bang the nazis right you would never see that but in a way it's actually true right (laughs) in a way like in a way like i'm sure that when you are in those situations as a conquering soldier women definitely do not act the way that you like see on tv i you know what i mean like i'm sure it's like a kind of a gray well it's
1: yeah, it's one, it's one of two things. And I mean, Chamberlain talks about both of these. It's either they are throwing themselves at the conquerors right. in order to yeah. secure privileges of some sort, or it's what we just saw in Palestine or Israel. Right. Um, like where it's legitimate, like violent takeover stuff. Yeah. That's, those are the only two options. There's really it, it, it's weird. It's not something that we want to reckon with, but that yeah. is just a key part of the. The human experience you know all the way go back to the the rape of the sabine women like yeah, well,
0: right i mean it's, like, it's this a, is just it's like a it's like a function of it's like a biological function <laughs> yeah it's, you know it's I mean? more primal like, than we're comfortable yeah with. it's like so primal that it's like you and if you actually saw it i'm sure it would be like very upsetting for people who have a naive view of of that sort of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it I mean, wouldn't look the way that you think. It wouldn't it wouldn't look like you you think it would look. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable stuff. Um, yeah. No matter what, just because we're not accustomed to that. I mean, I've done a while ago. I had some tweet blow up that uh, like we're really unaccustomed to the the actual gritty reality of existence and life. And on a historical level, like when you grow up and say, you know, a 12th century, like peasant woman, there's a legitimate chance if you're living in like a coastal town in England that Vikings come by and just like kill all the men and rape all the women and then leave the next day. Yeah. That's a legitimate thing you have to live with every day. And you like, you don't freak out about it. If that was a legitimate threat that anybody was facing today, people would be, you know, Prozac and Xanax would go off this off the shelves. Well, like,
0: well, no, but they wouldn't. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's, that's the joke of the society we live in. Yeah. So the reason why this, Prozac yeah. and, 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 uh, Xanax are higher used now than ever before is because we're in peace. You know, if, if we weren't in peace, if we actually had any stakes <laughs> to live in real life, uh, you know, we wouldn't need those drugs to feel good because we would be engaged in the vitality of existence. You know what I mean? Like, right.
1: Yeah, it's this this natural sort of highs and lows rather than just this disaffected nothing happens middle ground. Yeah. Um, you know, now we see an actual high and low happening in different global conflicts and people are freaked out about it because it's like this isn't fukuyama said history ended this isn't supposed to happen
0: yeah right you know right.
1: um it's it's just this reckoning with like legitimate historical life that we've sort of postponed for 70 years
0: yeah exactly we've just put like a pin in it and it sucks it sucks man it fucking i mean like i don't know about you but the real honest to God truth about how I feel about these catastrophes is excited. You know, like when I see this shit, I don't feel bad. I feel good. It's like stuff's actually happening to say, but it's like, yeah, that's what I feel. You know, I'm I'm sure if it was like in my actual face, if my daughter was, you know, actually at risk, I would feel a lot worse about it. But when it's just something happening to me, feels good.
1: Well, that's that's sort of the case for everybody right now. You get this like frantic energy rather than what you might have 500 years ago. You know, let's say uh, politics aside, let's just take it like medieval Europe. Your ally gets invaded by some random people. Uh, it's probably not going to be like a this, this weird frantic energy of like, oh, something's finally happening. It's just, you know, a matter of course, like, OK, now we have to deal with this. This is probably not good or it's probably good, whatever. Um, you know just we end up getting divorced from any kind of like actual sensation yes. uh that yes. anything is like yes
0: yeah just something real you know like yeah. god give me something real i know yeah it's like everybody says we live in the best time ever and i'm like i don't know about that man i i, I don't really think that's true like i think uh you know seeing a guy gooning to porn all day in his fucking shitty box apartment eating soybeans. I don't think that's that guy would rather die in war. <laughs> like I'm pretty, probably, I'm pretty yeah. sure probably, yeah. You know, that guy would rather have the chance to, you know, uh pillage, let's just say, than fucking just get taken off the chessboard entirely. You know Yeah,
1: it's kind of sad. We have this weird dead-endedness now where if you're a dead end you literally don't do anything. You just sit. If yeah. You literally just sit. I don't think that's that anybody in history has done that. Even like great sultans or whatever, nobody just sits. We yeah. just sit. Like it's yeah. brutal stuff. But you know, Western or liberal world order is collapsing. Interesting stuff is happening. Economies turning inside out.
0: Um, <laughs> but the economy is completely fake. And yeah. it's just a matter of time. I mean, somebody's going to have to figure that out eventually. I don't know how that finally collapses, but uh, you know, it, it, no one wants to talk about this. But yeah, the stock market is not real at all.
1: Well, personally, I'm betting on uh, some billionaire or investor or something offering like letters of uh, what is it? Letters of marquee for Chinese vessels in the uh, like South Pacific because they keep pillaging our like fishing waters.
0: What does that mean? What's letters of marquee?
1: Uh legal piracy. You take these boats, provide proof, we will pay you. Uh that's what like privateers in the uh the golden age of piracy, they had letters that allowed oh, them to do that.
0: Oh, cool. That's a cool idea. And then those just boats, gotta yeah.
1: Just gotta sell one billionaire on it.
0: <laughs> well, and it's also it's yeah, it's kinda like the scalps.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, it's, we need more we need more chances for government sponsored piracy and like, uh, mercenary dumb for sure. Um, okay. Yeah, I so think well, that's tell- going to happen, but
1: yeah, continue. Sorry.
0: So tell me about you. Like what, how did you arrive at this? You know, are, are you, were you always based, um, you know?
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm pretty young. I'm in my early twenties. So, um, oh, nice.
0: Ah, yeah, I'm not, that's probably why you're, you're so, yeah.
1: Old. So you grow up with it. Um, you know, inundated with technology. I look back, I had an iPod touch at 10. I don't think you should have that. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you you get pretty accustomed to the, you know, mimetic warfare that is the internet. And I think I probably trended towards like, quote unquote, based stuff. I was probably around 14 because that's when everybody gets into politics and whatnot and uh, I came from an area where if you got into, if you were smart, if you're like a smart kid and you got into understanding politics, you were just a communist. And uh, so I'm looking at my friends. I'm like, this just seems um, frankly retarded. And I think I read uh Evela's, what was it? It was one of Evola's books. I believe it was his uh, meditations on war. And then from there it was like, uh, it was a spiral. So yeah. Um, you know, just coming from a very liberal environment and being inundated with tech early, got into it. I started writing. Obviously, when you're in, you know, school, whether that's high school or college, you don't state your ideals in any way, shape or form because you're screwed if you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just have a lot of this uh, or had a lot of this writing that was just sitting around uh, over, you know, years that I had like developed and whatnot. And then I ended up taking it seriously, putting some of it out on Twitter and uh, it's kind of spiraled. I'm really surprised by it, honestly.
0: Yeah. So, OK, so you're saying you did grow up in more of like a lefty environment or progressive environment.
1: Yeah, at least with my peers, my uh, like not my family, but, you know.
0: OK, so when you're d- did you I mean, as a young guy growing up in this milieu, I mean, we're seeing more and more of your generation, far more than my generation, which was millennial we're seeing the guys of your generation being like increasingly based, I think from a, from a young age. So w- was that something like, how how did that actually work for you as a young guy? Like how did you start to develop consciousness of these things? I'm actually very curious about this.
1: Well, uh, for me in particular, I think it, the, the gender divide comes more with people like four or five years younger than me um so people that are like either just getting into college now or like in late high school something like that um where it's like all the dudes have one belief and all of the the women have another you know
0: yeah wow
1: um it's it's that strong i mean i have younger relatives and they're just like the male ones are (laughs) they're in an infinite cycle of it's over (laughs) all of the women believe in uh you know like transgenderism and like reparations So
0: wild. that's so but, uh, funny that's like just so different than what i grew oh up. it's so, so it's strange. like there's really like the divide is happening
1: yeah that's definitely with like the younger cohort of gen z older cohort of like generation alpha or whatever they call it yeah. that it's hard gender lines and then you have like the andrew tate guys and stuff like that and uh i mean i don't like andrew tate but that is a, that's a right-wing thing objectively
0: yeah.
1: yeah uh for me it was probably just you know being online a lot and then um not liking communism uh, and then from there you kind of spiral because you realize that a lot 90 of the things you consume are propaganda toward one end um you know as soon as you see the the first infographic about like the ads the the racial representation in ads yeah, and while you're inundated with ads on every screen you see for 23 and a half hours a day
0: yeah
1: you realize it pretty fast that there's there's an agenda and it's unilateral and it's not something that's um like there's not a culture war. One side's one and it's not the good side.
0: Yeah. But so why? But but, but you're saying even the guys around you, most of them chose to go left. So how does that happen?
1: Well, for me in particular, it was a, like a decently affluent area. And then I was in like advanced classes and whatnot so when i was you know when people start developing political consciousness in high school it's in like like while you're taking ap euro or something Mm -hmm. and being told that the catholic church is the most evil thing in the world and that you know white men did evil colonialism and broke the rest of the planet things like that so it's it's just uh if you're in like a more advanced thing and you're interested in that the only material available to to you and being given to you directly is left-leaning stuff um also doesn't help that like a lot of like gay dudes were in it so yeah dude. you know
0: well it's and it's like now there's so many of them right
1: yeah okay. i um from a male like relative who's uh i think what's he like a like a junior or a senior in high school right now yeah i uh, said probably about 10 percent 10 to 15% of his graduating class, like his class is uh, some kind of LGB, whatever, like something on there.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what they always told us the number was, though. Like growing up, they were always like, oh, it's 10%. it's One out of 10. You know, <laughs> that, that was like the answer to that question. So I don't know. I mean, it was definitely less than that when I was growing up. But it was like they were like, that's the true number of it, it which is, of course, bullshit. I mean, it's not, you know.
1: Yeah, I think there's no like the absolute... accurate number is like what three yeah. percent for men max.
0: Uh, what is the number of, of gay dudes or three I think
1: it's about three percent, like when you actually do demographic surveys?
0: They used to tell us 10. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: They just assumed it was 50 for us. So
0: so like okay, so when when you start to have that recognition that you're uh, you know, obviously you're not buying into this stuff. Like, then what do you do? Like, where do you go for your information?
1: Uh, for your information, mostly it's like, well, if you're a kid, it's usually like some idiotic meme page or something or uh, back when poll was still usable yeah. on 4chan. Um, obviously, that's just basically worthless now. Now it's on Twitter. But um, yeah, yeah. at that point, it was like 4chan and like Instagram, like real patriots rise up meme pages. <laughs> um it's weird it's just you get these weird axes of information that a lot of people saw and a lot of people kind of developed consciousness from and people talk about like the the quote-unquote alt right pipeline and it's really not like a pipeline where you start with ben shapiro and then you end up with richard spencer or something like that it's just a matter of things evolve and things evolved in order that first ben shapiro was popular and then like Paul Joseph Watson was popular. You know what I mean? Like you, the, the meta, the most popular guy at the moment evolved between different people. And that went right naturally because everything else went left. So the, the whole idea of like this alt-right pipeline of people being um, like propagandized or algorithmically pigeonholed into extreme right-wing stuff is just the complete opposite of the truth. If anything, it was, you had to like seek things out and, you know, somebody would, find out about some book or video and send it around or you'd see it on like iFunny when that was usable things like that um you just get these these weird like backdoor axes to countercultural thought uh in a way i thought i think that's kind of cool like it is it has been a legitimate counterculture for a while uh since probably around 2015 like the the right has been this sort of hidden online counterculture that you actually have to be sort of initiated into
0: well, the the intellectual right has, you know, not yeah, so.
1: the the mainstream rights obviously like
0: well, and that's the CPAC big stuff. I mean, I think that that's our biggest issue, and that's what I'm, you know, that's what culture people are trying to work on, which is how do you translate that intellectual stuff into actual palpable stuff, or or you know, like into actually like good culture because. I mean, it's so weird what happened with Trump, right? Because it's like Trump, despite being totally non-intellectual in any way, really telegraphed everything that the dissident, right, was doing better than we did in a way, right? I mean, it's like he, he understood stuff that our most intellectual guys didn't understand and he understood it very early. And he put it in such a way that like other people were really drawn to that, that the the intellectual side of what we do really had nothing to do with at all.
1: Yeah, Trump's interesting. I think um, the, the thing with Trump is that he just never like he didn't have any self-consciousness about it. Um, in the same way that a lot of other like right wing figures do, especially if you come from this sort of intellectual thinking side of things and you like rationalize your way to different beliefs rather than just intuitively having them. Um, Trump seemed to be of the latter camp where he just didn't question himself or really anything else. And he appealed to other people just trusting and not question, you know what I mean? Like trusting themselves and their analysis of things. And then people obviously, you know went on to rationalize about it, but it was a, a very frank movement. Like everybody liked the, the transparency and the frankness and the demeanor of Trump, because it was just straight up. What you saw is what you got, you know, that that's, um, that's a powerful thing when everything else is workshopped via 7 million, like PR AB tests.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: For me, I think the, um, one way of kind of helping to shift thing is things is just reading old stuff because they're not like none of the, the modern brain worms are even mentioned or whether to support or counter. There's just none of that. It's, it's a very, uh, it's a good reset. I think from modern culture, where even if you consume something that's allegedly like made for the right or something like that, it's anti-woke. Its core feature is it being anti-woke. It's not just like an incidental thing of it. Meanwhile, you read a book from 200 years ago. It's just incidentally, frankly, anti-woke because the the guy writing it has no concept of whatever our modern political, you know, neuroses are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you think is the way? Like, do you think that the way is to be anti-woke or is the way to just be, you know... Not conscious,
1: the thing with anti woke is that it always ends up being really, really cringy. Yeah, like you have somebody like grifting off of it's like, oh, Hershey wants to sell the gay chocolate, we sell straight chocolate. Yeah, like, all right, you know, (laughs) it's it's just cringe worthy. It's it's very it's like boomer Facebook bait, yes. Um. Yeah, the, the better way to go about these things is to just build stuff that's good yeah. and have it incidentally be completely opposite to everything that so they want you to be right now. This is
0: like the the discussion, right? This is the discussion that's in front of us. And, and I take like a little bit of a different view because, of course, I agree that, you know, ultra right beer and... Uh, what was the example you just used? Um, oh, the chocolate? Yeah, that's yeah. I'm not gay chocolates. You know, those are just money grabs and it's, it's crap. You know, I, I think you're right about that. And I think that that's not the answer. I mean, I, I don't think that those things are bad because they are developing and conditioning an economy for us, which is important. We do need that economy to be conditioned and to be developed. So I don't think that that's bad. Like what happened with Bud Light, that was great. And then that was yeah. just normies understanding what had happened. You know, they they it was they, it just took them a long time to get it and then finally they got it, right? Um so I don't necessarily mind those products. I agree with you that they're stupid and they're not really like what we want to be doing. At the same time, however, this idea that we're just going to like like you said that we're just going to sneak in A story about you know the the polish mercenary like they're not gonna let us they are not gonna let us tell these stories right even if they're not overtly you know anti-woke they are simply not gonna let us tell them and you're gonna get to a certain place inside their system and they're just gonna kind of they're not gonna like necessarily say no they're just going to kind of be like, yeah, oh, we can't do that. You know, like, sorry, we can't do that. Oh, no, that's not appropriate. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Even if you don't actually overtly get canceled, they're just going to you're going to reach a certain level and they're going to they're going to destroy you. So. This is what I keep telling everybody, they're going to make us choose. So it's not like we're not going to have the luxury of just sneaking something in that happens to not be woke. We're gonna have to say we're against this thing. And at least in my opinion. I I think we are going to have to a- actively say we are reacting against this woke thing. Check out this stuff. And I don't know. That's just kind of my opinion because it because they're not the, the existing system is not gonna lend itself to us so we can tell our stories that are true.
1: Yeah, I, I can see that. I think it's um more of just how you actually execute it. You know, if it's cringeworthy and lowbrow, I'm not I'm not a fan. But if you have something like um, like Angel Studios right now is working yeah. on a lot of films that are like they're explicitly anti-woke, but they're not like it's not their core purpose. You know, that's not their uh, their whole shtick. It's that they're they want to make things that are good and at the same time that that means necessarily not being involved with whatever this ideology and network is.
0: Yeah. Uh, right. I think that that's the model. I, I think that ultimately yeah. we are going to have to build a parallel economy we're not going to be able to just, you know, do things without, without consciously separating, you know, we, we have to consciously separate from these people because if we don't, they'll eat us, they'll eat us alive.
1: Um, Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm, I'm engaged in parallel institution stuff. Right. So yeah.
0: no, looking at, um, Absolutely.
1: yeah, Absolutely. looking at making this like a, a powerhouse of, um, you know, countercultural thought, like when you can either publish your paper, uh, attempt to publish your paper in a left wing journal, know it's going to get rejected for, you know, not having the right priors. And instead you can publish it here. Like that, that was well, actually- my initial goal.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you, let's finish up by, so you, how did you successfully pull off getting the copy for, um, my confession? You did like a crowdfunding thing.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I didn't expect it to work out. I thought I was going to have to shell out the money myself, but, uh, turns out there's a lot of Cormac McCarthy fans out there with, uh, deep pockets. So I just posted like an ETH address and people sent crypto there. Um, most of them didn't even want to be acknowledged. They were just like, no, I just want to be able to see the book out again. Um, like literally, I think there's only two people in the acknowledgement section and over a dozen, maybe even two dozen people donated. It's Just a lot of people that very quietly wanted to, you know, see this back into print. And it was awesome. I was able to get uh, two copies and then the the Mexican War book as well, like the the one with the extra paintings.
0: So So and where did you host this crowdfunding thing?
1: i just wrote a twitter thread
0: oh really and you just so you didn't do it on like give send go or anything
1: no i just wrote it because i expected like two people to donate at most <laughs> i expected it to be just like a little you know kick in because i've had donations open in crypto for a while and it you know it, it's not it's not the main angle people you know want to get something in response which is totally fair i think that's you know that, that's what i aim to deliver but for this one in particular, people were very happy to uh to donate for it. And I think the, the sales numbers have reflected that, that there's a ton of interest in this book.
0: So it was crypto. Yeah. Nice work, man. Ethereum or Bitcoin?
1: I listed both and got donations in both. So
0: that's so cool. And did you like track it in some way? Did you like have some sort of a tracking thing that you told people, hey, we have this much raised or you know did you set a goal of any kind?
1: Uh the goal was just over a grand to be able to buy the book and I just posted tweet updates. I hit it in probably 45 minutes. Oh. And then like doubled really? it. So yeah, That's it was so uh it was very very God, fast. Right? I was incredibly surprised.
0: Bro. And then you said, "Hey, stop, stop."
1: Yeah, I posted a <laughs> thing at the end. I was like, "All right, we're good. We've raised the funds."
0: You got it. You got it dude that's okay my friends this is how it is done this is what the young men need to be doing man it's the power of twitter the power of twitter it's great work man great work And were you were you this size were you the size that you are now
1: i was probably at around 40k when i did that so a bit smaller but still like because this was in a i want to say august ish august maybe even july I initially wanted to deliver it on August 20th, but I ended up getting held up by how slow the transcription process was. I had to retype the entire book basically by hand.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's also very cool that you did that. Did you have somebody edit it? I edited it. Um,
1: I mean, very lightly. I just changed, uh, like Chamberlain didn't have
0: any other set eyes. You didn't have like a copy editor or anything.
1: No, that's what I do. (laughs) Um, Um. I don't know why I've, you know, I don't know how I've ended up doing this. I didn't work in publishing before I started the company, but uh, I guess I'm willing to sit for twelve hours straight and have attention to detail. Yeah. So. Nice.
0: Um. Awesome, man. Well, uh, dude, thank you so much for joining. This was great. I think what you're doing is really, really awesome, and I uh, can't wait for this book to come in the mail. I just ordered the other one, so I'll let you know uh, what I think about these things, of course, and um yeah man stay in touch
1: yeah absolutely thank you for having me on and i hope you enjoy the books
0: thanks man see ya yeah oh wait 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 what is who is alaric
1: oh <laughs> uh alaric the barbarian alaric the first he's the guy who uh sacked rome in 410 oh, i actually rome. in volume three because it's a uh, themed great men i did a biography of him
0: oh cool so um, he was like a germanic germanic tribesman
1: yeah, he was a goth. Oh, yeah. A goth. So, Alaric the goth. There's a, a recent book titled that that came out and that paints him as like a like a refugee. And the message of Alaric is that you have to be more respectful to immigrants and allow more immigrant. I uh, I don't like that guy. Douglas <laughs> Bowen, Douglas Boyne. So uh, I tore that apart for uh, volume three. But-
0: <laughs> uh, nice. Nice. That's hilarious. Um. OK, cool, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me.